0: Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Talk with me, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter, the podcast where we talk to C-level executives, leaders of institutions, and heads of multinationals. One of the current topics they talk, we listen.
1: Can you imagine getting into a business or a market where you actually spend a hundred billion plus on a piece of paper?
2: Are you kidding me?
1: It was like a frying pan of the head. I got nothing against CFOs. It was not just the job of a lifetime, it was the job of a thousand lifetimes.
0: In this final week of the Lookback series, I want to share a snippet of the, the episode with Eric van Haren, a former partner at Deloitte and now an author. His episode titled The Three Stages of Surviving Through Restructuring. Have a listen.
1: If I look at uh, the uh, you know, what's currently happening, then uh, companies are uh, struggling. Uh, Other companies are having the best time of, uh, you know, probably the decades uh, that, uh, you know, simply because business is booming. Mm -hmm. And I luckily have a couple of those uh, companies as my as my clients. Uh, Mm -hmm. What I see, however, with the companies who are struggling is that uh, uh, they they want to get back to normal and uh, and. I think, you know, what's happening currently by governments is that we first have a completely different uh, decision-making processes across the world, which is obviously understandable, but that's not easy for the companies uh, because you have, uh, you know, you don't necessarily get to stability if you get st- into stability into one country. So it's a, it will stay for a long time in an uncertain situation. And the decision-making, even in the EU where I live, uh, uh, there is not uh, one, uh, you know, one direction. Even in uh, Germany, where I live, mm-hmm. uh, it is different by state. So uh, that key, that stays into an uncertain situation. And I, I think you know what I see with my clients is that uh, there's a wish to get back to normal and to stability. And that's not coming if we have different decisions made by by mm-hmm. individual states or by individual countries. Uh, it will stay too long uncertain. Uh, that's one element of that. The other element I, is that uh, uh, there is a lot of talk on uh, subsidizing and, uh, you know, and the money flow, which is obviously important. But I think we have to understand that um, at least most of my clients where I, where I deal with and contacts I deal with at the market, that are companies who want to survive on their own. That's their optimal goal.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: so it's not only the money, it is for most getting really back into normal so that you can do your business again. So bring, in, bring an environment, get to an environment, and that could be a different environment than we had in the past, but get to an environment where companies can perform again.
0: Hmm. I, think, I think one of the things I want to talk to you about is the, the new normal, and I want your view on that. But before we do that, um, let's just touch upon the, the consulting world again and we talk a lot about fit for purpose I mean it's a phrase we use all the time what's not and what is I mean now in this situation what do you no longer think is fit for purpose as a result of COVID-19 I know it's a, a broad question so within the confinements of the business you're in please be as broad and as narrow as you like in, in your response
1: yeah, I think if we talk from a consulting perspective on fit for purpose, it's a very popular phrase. Yeah. I must say, uh, uh, is uh, there are two components to that. Uh, one is the approach we take at uh, at our clients to address an issue and lead that to a satisfactory. Uh, uh, answer or a result uh, the this, the second component is uh, the solutions uh offering to the so it's you know our clients always look at okay have you done that before have you seen that before have you implemented like something like that before so that's what i would call the solutions now if i differentiate between the two i think the differentiation is very important so the approach is uh You know, typically, as I mentioned in the beginning already, uh, consulting is something which you do on site. I I would uh, strongly recommend consulting companies, and I for sure do that also myself, to not look at just on site consulting because not because uh, this could happen again. Uh, It could obviously happen again, Mm -hmm. but because companies have gotten to have have are used now to this uh, uh, home office kind of work. So should be a bit linked to that. So fit for purpose, what you should avoid, in my opinion, is that pure on-site consulting. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then Mm -hmm. on the solution, I think there there will be even more fit for uh, purpose to a level that is hardly uh, fit anymore. Uh, And that is completely linked to the uncertainty. Uh, So... Uh, finding and it's and the uncertainty brings a new situation for most of the companies so if we come in there as consultancy and we say okay we have done this before and then tell a story which is not completely fitting the the client situation then it's not completely fit for purpose so um uh, so that's why uh, you know there we have uh, for sure a situation that is a a huge variety of fit for purpose uh, to, to the level that we cannot talk for uh, about a fit anymore at least in the coming uh, months I would say um, now if we get into uh, things which I would not offer as uh, fit for purpose anymore is, uh, you know, your typical supply chain network planning without doing without having supply chain risk management. Example I mentioned before, but there are others uh, which are, you know, similar, but that's, I think that risk management uh, component speaks a lot uh, to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's another uncertainty in there which I think most of the consulting companies need to look at and that is the uncertainty has also led to that the strategic directions of companies could be at question Uh, and that could be the overall direction it could be the competitive landscape it could be the Uh, You know, the the way uh, companies deal with uh, market channels, uh, it it could be all of that uh, or elements of that. So that strategic component is not necessarily a given anymore. So as a consultant, it's important to uh, not say, "Okay, the the strategy is defined, so let's see on how we implement it. No, the strategy is questionable in a lot of the companies I deal with.
0: So there's a hell of a lot of uncertainty going forward. Yeah,
1: haven't. I see. Huh? It's good <laughs> yeah. for consulting, I mentioned. Well, yes, it's good
0: for sort of business. Yes. Not, not only on the receiving end of it, I suppose. Yeah, um, yeah. The final guest is Eddie Short, the Chief Data Analytics Officer of O2. Once again, we were colleagues in KPMG and even worked on an outsourcing assignment once. This episode is how to implement a data-driven culture in your organization. Enjoy. And incidentally, I do hope that you've enjoyed listening to the Look Back series. And it was nice for me to sort of dig out these series, these episodes again, and remind myself of the conversations I had with previous colleagues and previous guests. So thank you for listening.
2: Most organizations uh, back in the days when uh, we'd say, Data was particularly young it focused on the technology of just centralizing data and having the mega data warehouse which evolved mm-hmm. into the data lake um, and uh, that was never always that satisfactory because it was it was all about control um, and you ended up with pockets of data springing up and spreadsheets all over the organization mm-hmm. so it is important that you you say democratize your data you 've got to make it available you 've got to bring and ownership across the organization um, and uh, what i increasingly use is what we call a hub and spoke model mm-hmm. you want to have um expertise and particularly analytical expertise distributed around the organization but working to the same standards governance and tools as the center but you really need to incentivize people to bring their data so that you can have what you have know, been called for many years the single versions of truth mm-hmm. because um um, whether it's uh, unstructured data, whether it's structured data, you need to be able to rely on it. Because as soon as you can't rely on it, people will start to get their own data. So it's having the forums and fora that bring your people together from across the organisation, ensuring they can work together with standards and governance, but really incentivizing them around the value of data. And I think that's increasingly that evolves the CDO's roles from. Not yeah, not just being under custodian of the data but it's it 's really what we helping the organization to say what we 're going to do with that data, how far are we going to do what are the right questions in terms of generating real business value from the data and if you can do that that 's when you really balance balance the role and and um, you also incentivize people to come together because they can see the whole there are synergies from bringing the capabilities together, but as i said in a more of a hub-and-spoke model rather than a completely centralised or completely decentralised mm-hmm. model.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you for, for that. Um, my next question, I think you've answered some of it, but I'm going to ask you to expand on it. And I, I, I like when you touched about ensuring reliability of the data, because that will seize what you know, we've seen in the past, the sort of the silo hoarding of data in say IT or sales. So and this question I've asked, um, in a previous episode, but I really would like your, your CDO um, angle on this. There's obviously a culture change that is required among staff and management, etc. How do you begin to implement and put in place a data-driven, data-enabled culture and make it work?
2: Well, that's, that's a, a really good, um, and I'd say almost like the um, essence of the challenge we face, because... Mm-hmm. People want to be data-driven, but it's the same point. It's they need to trust, quotes, the organization's data rather than just their own data. Because um, we are, um, we um, we are, um, we 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 trust what we know. So we need to be confident that we know the organisation. I think you've also got to balance the kind of governance. So you do need to have representation from across the business, not just in IT, but Across the organization, in terms of ownership of that data and really the decisions around that data, and you have to balance it between value, risk, and I suppose protecting data. I mean, we've all seen the incidents of um, data being um, stolen and misappropriated, identity theft. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the CDO isn't necessarily there, needs to be working in partnership with IT and technology around security of data. I don't necessarily think the CDO is responsible for cyber security, for example. Um, but if you look at the reg- legislation like GDPR, then it's actually it's all wrapped up in the same legislation. Mm-hmm. Is, um that protection of data as well as the governance of data. So um, we, we do need to balance the legal and the requirements of the data protection officer and the chief information security officer. Yeah. So when okay. we're working in legal and governance, one working probably in IT with the cdo's role of actually generating value from the organization and, and i think again probably the art of the of the role is to make that um a value creating exercise and balance that kind of um, as i call it risk and performance two sides of the same data um, so that people can see actually if you you know a bit like a classic uh, quality management if you if you follow the quality processes you end up with better data and you actually end up with more value and it actually becomes the more effective way of working that's those are the kind of journeys and, and I'm, i use the journey for things like total quality management and six sigma as part of techniques for actually bringing people together in terms of just and applying them in data so that people can see you know doing the right things doesn't necessarily mean that you can actually reduce the value if anything you increase the value of the data
0: So I'm also getting from what you said that there needs to be a very good working relationship between the CSO as well as the CDO in order to ensure the this is on the data side to ensure the value and the risk and the protection of data. That's what I'm gathering from you.
2: Absolutely. I think they're critical relationships. And if you, um, depending on the um, organizational structure, you've got CTO, CSO, CSER and CDO may well be in different parts of the,
0: mm-hmm.
2: the operating model. Uh, if you are a tech firm probably your CTO is on the board If you're uh, uh, and your CSER may well report to them and depending on other, other operating models the CDO may be uh, the, the senior figure but I think it's kind of um, it is forming that right uh, working and partnership and working together stakeholder management and relationships I still think Whatever happens with technology, um, people are still critical and and relationships are still critical to actually make make these things work.
0: Okay. Um, I'm glad you talked about reporting lines because I I want to move on to that. And I'd like your view on that. Um, Fundamentally, you need data to become a digital business and an intelligent enterprise. Organisations have been moving in that direction, but COVID has expedited this in some quarters. The role of the CDO is no longer, say... Embedded under the CFO or the COO, now more than ever, the CDOs have a seat at the executive table. How has this changed executive dynamics and business relationships? Would you say now it is essential for all CDOs to be positioned alongside, say, the CFOs, COOs, CIOs even? And should they be at the table where the big budget decisions at the highest level are made? Give us examples where this is vital.
2: Well, I think if you... I mean, it is vital. If you look at um, the, the classic um, Google, Facebook, um, uh, Netflix, et cetera, you know, mm-hmm. we talk about them being digital companies and technology companies, but as I look at it, their first, second, and third sort of orders of competitive advantage are data, data, and data. You know, so um, I think it, it does come down to uh, how strategic is this for your organization. Um, mm-hmm. um you know, I think there's 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 always there's going to be increasingly a kind of um, um, tension with the CFO because their their function is always controlled of the numbers uh, mm-hmm. in terms of how the organisation performs. And I think you know, CDOs need to work very closely with CFOs, and because we're more about, they would say, democratizing the numbers rather than controlling. So I think that's uh, you know finance often has that controlling function which can actually uh, uh, almost can diminish you know, risk taking and reduce it, whereas we need to democratise that. I think um, you know it, if the role of the CDO, put, putting down to my, what I said earlier, if you have a, you say a hub and spoke model, you can have a CDO on the board. I think it's difficult for a CDO to be truly uh, a board member if they have if they have all the operational delivery because mm. then, they're, uh, then they're kind of duplicating, potentially duplicating functions with COOs and CIOs. So you can have a strategic function at the board because it could be one of those. Uh, but um, again, as I said, it comes down to how how important is this? How strategic is it in, in, in your journey? Do you want to be, quote, truly a leader through data and creating more mm-hmm. data-driven products? Or really are you looking at using your data to, quote, uh, maintain um, competitive parity rather than being, quote, a a true leader.
0: Now, that concludes this episode of the Look Back series. I hope you enjoyed these snippets. And do check out the full original episodes in the show notes. Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elainepringle.com forward slash Heads Talk, wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests, and you, for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time, where I'll be featuring more executives, C-suite leaders, and heads of international.
1: Heads Talk podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle Schwitter.